All right, Happy New Year, church. We're almost there. Get your Bibles, please, and turn to John chapter 5. I need two things from you this morning. Here's the first. Uh, grace. <laughs> Last Sunday, I want to apologize for the speed at which I delivered my sermon. I'll explain why. Nora, our one-month-old granddaughter, was coming in for the holidays, and since I was going to be around a lot of folks before she arrived during this cold and flu season, my wife gave me a Zycam before I came to church, which is a vitamin, by the way. It's not illegal drugs, if you didn't know. Um, but it hyped me up. Uh, and it was amazing. Standing up here, this is an odd thing anyway. I mean, uh, trust me, it is never an easy thing for me to do. It never gets easy at all. But I was standing up here, and I was preaching through the first page of notes, and I said to myself, Jimmy, you have got to slow down. And I couldn't. Even when we got to the prayer, as I was praying the words of the prayer for our whole church, I was praying silently, God, please help me slow down. And he didn't answer that prayer with a yes, because I didn't feel this divine assistance to just shut it down a couple of gears. And I was just going on. And I felt like the Alvin and the chipmunks, you know, and then I listened to it online. It's a hoot. <laughs> so for no other reason than the content, just go listen to the speed at which I was delivering that message. And so I asked for grace for that. As a matter of fact, what I kind of felt like, and even as I was preaching through the, the second part of the message, uh, I kept thinking about this one picture I want us to get a, a picture of. So watch this real quick. Remember is there this? anyone out there who still isn't clear about what doing drugs does? Okay. Last time, this is your brain. This is drugs. This is your brain on drugs. Any questions? That was your preacher's brain on drugs, all right? Even legal stimulants. And uh, so I didn't take a Zycam today. Maybe we'll notice a little bit of difference. Now, the reason why I'm going through all of that with you this morning is not just because it was a little humorous, but because I think as we step into a brand new year, that maybe, just maybe, in 2020, some of you are thinking, wow, if there's some things I could just slow down, if there's some things that I could, could stop, God, it would be really great. And I could really use your help. In the series of lessons that I'm launching today called Freedom, I hope you're going to find some truths that will help you do just that because God makes us a promise. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Short, sweet, but so incredibly powerful. It was part of Jesus' mission, as you heard a few moments ago being read, that when he came into this earth, he came to set people free from their very own personal prisons through the power of the Spirit to do that. And so we're launching a brand new series today. I'm simply just calling, calling freedom because there's more than just freedom from our past mistakes. I know we talk about that a lot. That in Jesus Christ there's forgiveness, and that's so sweet. And I love the fact that I am set free from anything that I've done that, that was shameful, laden with guilt. It's gone. But what I love even more, and I mean this sincerely, is the power through the Spirit that He's invited me into to live a life of freedom that I could live no other way than with Him inside me, working through me. 
And so we're going to look at that during this series that I'm simply calling Freedom. And so as you enter into 2020, I hope there's some things that you would be thinking of that truly you would like to have God's help to stop. Next slide, guys. How would you fill in this blank? Lord, if, if you would this year, would you please help give me the freedom to stop? What would you put in there? I'm not asking you to raise your hand or say anything out loud or even put it on a card. But I'm wondering if there's some, maybe even some small things. I'd like to stop chewing my fingernails. I'd like to stop popping my knuckles. My grandfather used to have this horrible habit of taking a key and cleaning his ear with it. And I used to think, that thing's going to fall off one day from infection, Grandpa. And he never stopped till the day that he died. He always cleaning that ear with that, that car key. Maybe there's something like that. Maybe there's something that's a little bit more um, difficult. Maybe not quite as gross, but difficult. And that is maybe not gossiping. All of us do it. But I'll just be honest. We all struggle with um, speaking of something that's a weakness of somebody else. And actually, if we, if, we, if we looked at the motive underneath it, so that we look a little stronger. Or at least we think we will. And I don't know about you. I never feel stronger. I think that I might. Thank you, Satan. But I never feel stronger. Maybe, just maybe, there's some things you want to stop in regards to how you're spending your time on your cell phone, as we talked about a couple of weeks back. Some things you want to stop in regards to where sometimes your hands go on the Internet from 10 to 11 at night when no one's looking. Maybe you want to stop dating. Some of you here may have been attempting to date some folks, whether you're young or whether you're old, and it just seems like heartbreak follows every relationship you initiate because there's some codependency issues you just never dealt with. Some value you place on another person valuing you that really only God deserves. And so that's, that's stayed out of whack for a long time. And maybe this year in 2020 you're saying, Spirit, would you help me overcome that so that I can experience the fullness of a relationship with someone else with you in its proper place and them in their proper place. All of us have something that I know that we can put in that list right there today. Now, you may not be a resolution person. You may not be someone who's a goal person, but I know every one of us says, if I could just stop, it would be great. Today I'm going to point you towards something that I know every single one of us struggles with, myself included. It's something that I hope in 2020, for our church, we can all stop in doing. And here's what it is. Next slide. Stop, say it with me. Comparing. One more time. By God's grace and through the power of the Holy Spirit, please help us stop. That can be a good thing. You know that. When you go to the grocery store, it's a good thing to compare prices and quality. When you're shopping for cars, when you're shopping for jeans, when you're shopping around for which gym to be a member of, when you're shopping around for which college to go to, price and quality, all that matters. Do some serious comparing. That's not what hurts us. That's not what's unproductive in our lives. That's not what's unhealthy. What, what hurts us is when we start comparing our lives to somebody else's, listen to me, exterior life. The surface life that we see. And it just, it just debilitates some of us. In John chapter 5, we see Jesus in Jerusalem. He's making his way through the city and thousands are following him. And he stops at this pool by the name of Bethesda. 
And John gives us a picture of who was by the pool when he writes this. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. Now, you may have known this, but the reason why a crowd of invalids are at this particular pool is because of a myth that was very popular in the second century. Powerful, powerful legend had developed where an angel would visit the pool and supposedly stir the water, and any time the water would ripple or move, people would make a beeline for it because they believed if they could get in first, they would be healed. Now, archaeologists have since then told us that there was an underground spring that fed that pool. And so it really wasn't any angel stirring the pool, that rippling water, or any of that stir was coming simply from the water bubbling up from a very, very active spring. John goes on to describe specifically in detail at least one person who was there. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Interesting, interesting scene. Here's a man who for 38 years has been lying flat on his back and hoping that some way, somehow, he can make it first into this supposed pool that's stirring, that this angel is manipulating so that anyone who gets in gets healed. All of his eggs, one basket. And every single day he watches people with broken arms and bad backs and all kinds of maladies beat him there. But I want us to notice that even though he's put all of his faith in this legend and in this myth, it doesn't stop Jesus from wanting to help him. And that encourages me. The lame man has to be taken aback when Jesus asks him a simple question. Do you really want to get well? Now, You've probably heard this before. I, I've definitely thought it. Um, Jesus probably deserves a, here's your sign for that one. I mean, here's a guy who's on a pallet, hadn't walked in 38 years, and you're asking him, do you want to get well? Well, there's more than just a, a physical malady at work here. There's more than just legs that are broken here. This man's life is broken. His identity is broken. He is so contact, connected and contacted with the, the group of people around him who are all, we call them invalids. They felt invalid amongst us valid people. They're the invalids. And so his identity, his, his understanding of himself as a man even in that culture is devastated. And so Jesus says, sir, do you want to get well? And this man replies, I've got nobody to help. When the water's stirred while I'm trying to get in, somebody else always gets in ahead of me. What's this invalid saying here? The reality of it is, maybe it's not so much on what he's saying, but what he's doing. He's comparing. He's comparing his situation to everybody else who's around him. Oh, they have it better than me. Jesus, I really do have it worse over here at my side of the pool because try as I may, I never get to where everybody else seems to be going. Sound familiar? Let me make a few observations about comparison. Whether you consider yourself a valid or an invalid. Here's the first. Comparison fuels competition. Think about that one for a minute. Doesn't comparison fuel competition? 
I've noticed it in my life. At Bethesda, the goal around the pool was to be the first one in. Well, the goal in our society is to be the first, if not at something, everything. Because in our Western culture, if you're not first, you might as well be what? Last. Isn't that crazy? That that's so much a part of our DNA that we could say that and, and almost in unison publicly understand where we're going with it? We've got to be skinnier, we've got to be richer, we've got to be stronger, we've got to be faster than almost anybody else. And nothing fuels the competitive spirit like social media. Social media, I believe, is to envy what gasoline is to the fire. When you're looking at a post on Instagram or when you're looking at Facebook and you see what somebody else has put on there, there's not only this desire to compare ourselves to them, but let's be honest, the desire to compete. If she's lost 10 pounds, I'm going to lose 15. If he can run 10 miles, I want to run 15. Well, actually, not a very good, that's not a good illustration for me, but if, if we see stuff like that, that, that they're doing and it looks good, I want at least that, if not a little bit more. They get a newer truck, I want a new truck. They get a newer, I want a new purse. I don't know why it does that, but it just does that in me. The letters OCD. Those connect with anybody? We usually connect them with obsessive compulsive disorder. Well, psychologists in 2020 are now using it a new way. They're calling it obsessive comparison disorder. Now, I'm not making this up. Paul Langone has an interesting statement about it this week. He says, obsessive compulsive disorder is our compulsion to constantly compare ourselves with others. Producing unwanted thoughts and feelings that drive us to depression, consumption anxiety, and all-around discontent. Every day we're trying to pull off a branded, dazzling, filtered, edited, impossibly epic, and otherworldly life nobody could possibly be living. Nailed it. To underscore that, the New York Post recently had an article that said more people died last year from selfie injuries than shark attacks. Here's the, I'm serious, the research. Eight people last year died of shark attacks. 259 died from taking selfies in dangerous places. Where they were walking, standing on walls, all of a sudden they're more interested in getting a picture of themselves and whatever they're doing than taking care of their life. That's nothing short of vanity over sanity. Madison Avenue has been cashing in on this for years. It's at the core of almost all advertising. You've seen it. There's almost always some amazing product we just have to have, a life-changing, you're going to need this, and your life will be better if you buy it. How many times have you seen this picture? Next slide, guys. The perfect burger either on television or on a billboard or in some magazine, and you're thinking, i got to stop, honey, and get me one of those, and you do, and here's what comes out. <laughs> Something that is absolutely foreign to what we've been shown this picture of, right? You don't know whether a semi's rolled over that, whether to put it in your mouth or take it to the hospital. That's terrible. But that's so often reality when it comes to things that are advertised as life-changing and they wind up being so much less. Social media fuels this fire. 
It has given everyone on the planet a platform to present themselves in a very polished, if not perfect way. And not a one of us in this room is perfect or polished. Amen? We're all ragamuffins. That's why I love what the Apostle Paul says to another similar bunch of ragamuffins in Corinth. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves, next slide guys, with someone who commends themselves. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with someone who commends themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. Sister, in the eyes of our Creator, we're all the same. Every single one of us is a sinner in need of a Savior. And it is good for us to be reminded, I think, as we wrap up this year and step into another one, that otherwise, if we don't remember that, we have a tendency to classify people. I do. If I don't remember that I am a sinner in need of a Savior regularly, I tend to classify people. And when that's my practice, and when that's how I, I view others, all of a sudden I begin to devalue some and value others more. That's why the Apostle Paul, is one of the most brilliant men ever to have lived, says this, By the grace of God I am what I am. One of the most brilliant human beings ever to walk the face of the earth. He humbly says, everything that I have that's good comes to me by God's grace. That's just Paul echoing the same idea that he's nothing but a sinner in need of a Savior. Brene Brown, a brilliant sociologist in our world, has a great TED Talk on vulnerability. Maybe you've seen it. She levels the human playing field for all of us when she says this. We, we are those people. The truth is, we are the others. Because most of us are just one paycheck, one divorce, one drug-addicted kid, one mental diagnosis, one serious illness, one sexual assault, one drinking binge, or one affair away from being those people. The ones we don't trust. The ones we pity. The ones we don't let our children play with. The ones bad things happen to the ones we don't want living next door. Man, that one nailed me. At some point, it is in everybody's nature because of this sinful nature. I'm still struggling to get over, even with the power of the Spirit, struggle with it every day, that sometimes we see other people as inferior and us as superior. And then we flip it. Sometimes we see others as superior and us as inferior. Comparison goes both ways. That's why it's so diabolical. Satan can use it in so many different ways. Several weeks back, at the suggestion of a brother I love, I did an emotional checkup. And I wrote down in my journal this simple question, what do I feel? And on this particular day, this isn't regular for me, but on this particular day, I wrote down some things that I was trying to be honest about. Okay, today I feel tired. I feel unqualified. I feel stuck. And I feel pressured. Now, if you do the same in your own journal, or if you do it sometime this week because it's on the verge of a new year, let me encourage you to do this. Just be honest. Whatever's going on and however you're feeling what's going on, just write it down. I did. But don't stop there because I didn't. I also wrote on another page this. Here's what I know. 
Because there's foundations in my life that, that I have built my life on that has nothing to do with feelings. Nothing. And sometimes when I'm caught up in the moment of what's going on in my life and what's not going on in my life and, and all that goes on with myself and other people and these emotions are flying, I forget these truths. Number one, that God loves me. And He does. And He loves you, friend. Ridiculously. Amazingly. And God's with me all the time because I welcome him into my life through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's with me. I am never, ever alone. But I feel that way sometimes. When I fail miserably, God forgives me. I've got to remember that one a lot. He forgives me completely. Lavishly, he says. Ridiculously, he forgives me. And then number four, God rewards faith. Man, I need to remember that one a lot. That he loves it when I trust that he can when I can't. Now there's just four of those truths that I try to, to, to go back to on a regular basis regardless of how I'm feeling. Because my emotions and my feelings can be so hard to put my life on. But we do. We build it around all. I, I feel and I imagine and I write this story when really the truth and the facts are here. And it just gets to be a joke. Except for Satan, he loves it. Here's the truth. I'm a sinner who's welcomed a Savior into my life. And that doesn't make me any better than anybody. But it does make me different. And those of you who've made Jesus Christ Lord of your life, it doesn't make you better. It doesn't make you worse than anybody. But it does, Scripture says, make you different. And ultimately what it can make us, here's what I hope, is content. Content. If comparison fuels competition, I believe contentment fuels celebration. And here's why that's important. When we're content with who we are and what we have in Christ, I mean what we have, the last thing we feel compelled to do is compete with somebody. We're free then to celebrate them. And that's what we need. We see it in our Savior Jesus all the time. John writes, the lame man doesn't give the best of answers to Jesus' question. Do you want to be well? But Jesus gives him what he needs anyway. Then Jesus said to him, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. And at once, the man was cured and he picked up his mat and he walked. Man, I love that about Jesus. The layman gives a questionable answer and he receives a very certain gift despite it. He walks. We see Jesus doing this all the time. He throws around love and grace and encouragement like we throw around confetti. And always to the same group of people. The needy. The messes. The left outs. The leftovers. Jesus was not into competing with people. And there's a reason for that. Because he was content in who he and his daddy were together. And that's why he could celebrate people. In the last Olympics, one of my favorite scenes came in the track and field event. Nikki Hamblin from New Zealand and a U.S. runner by the name of Abby D'Agostino were four laps from ending the 5,000-meter race in Rio when they collided 
Hamblin, as you can see on the screen, stumbled while trying to avoid hitting a runner in front of her, and D'Agostino crashed into the back of Hamblin and knocked them both down. Well, D'Agostino was the one who rose first. But rather than continue on, she stopped to help Hamblin up, who was clearly in distress. Now, she could have thought, you're my competitor, i got to get on with this. But what she does is she goes back and she checks on her. And Hamlin would say to reporters later, she said, come on, we got to get up. we got to finish this. This is the Olympics for heaven's sake. And Hamlin said, I responded, yep, let's get it done. And so they both got up and they tried. But twice, D'Agostino's knee buckles. And she goes down. And then it's Hamlin who goes back to help D'Agostino get up. And the New Zealanders stayed with this American for some time before leaving her to complete the race at the American's insistence. Biancasino, too, eventually finished the race limping. And when they finished, Hamlin was waiting there to congratulate her. Next slide. And to embrace her. Even at the Olympics, the greatest stage for track and field, hear the word, competition. You've got two people who understood that it's more important to celebrate than to compete. And I love that about Jesus. Because if there's anything he taught us is that he came into this world to celebrate people. Celebrate them. Not to point out their deficiencies and their weaknesses. Not to say, compare your life to mine. He came to celebrate us. And I love him for that. But Jesus always found himself in situations where even when he was doing the best of things, there was always this group of people around who wanted to point out deficiencies. John writes this. A group of people said, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids that you carry your mat. (laughs) And I'm thinking, these are the religious leaders? No, no, no. Not broken people, the together people, and they they see a violation of law rather than a man that they've walked past for 38 years walking past them. What are they missing? But you've known churches like that. You've known Christians like that who can see the most amazing wonders of God right in front of their face and yet look past that and try try to find some violation some incorrect stance, some misunderstanding to focus on. And that breaks my heart. And that's not who we are at KCC. It's just not. And I love that about us. I love that we're not into competing, we're into celebrating, which is why we chose to partner with Impact Church. (laughs) Different. You go to one of their assemblies compared to our assemblies, way different, all right? But when it comes to loving Christ and believing in God's word being the truth, when it comes to loving the church, when it comes to being filled with the Holy Spirit, so many things that we share together that we don't compete anymore. There was a time we did. We celebrate now. We work together now. And I think that's a better picture to the world of who Jesus is than what we lived with some in the past. And I'm just going to be honest. I'm going to fess up this morning. There was a time in my life I was a competitor when it came to Christianity. 
I actually taught from pulpits like this that the churches of Christ were the closest thing to any New Testament church you could find. I taught that. And I was wrong. I was wrong. I don't have a clue who's the closest when it comes to the tribes that have put themselves over here and here and here and here and here. Only he knows that. But you know what I changed? I got with a group of guys from those different tribes, seven of them, and we started praying for one another and talking about the things that we had on our hearts about ministry, and I realized they thought they were the ones that were first and the rest of us were the less. I went, you too? And we said, oh yeah. And the first thing we had to do was repent and ask God for forgiveness for that. And it opened the door for so many wonderful things that happened then in that community. And we're, have, we're seeing them happen now in this community. There's no way in the world we're going to let competition stand in the way of our celebration of our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why we start every service with praying for another set of brothers and sisters in Christ. Because we realize it doesn't matter what I think about who's first and who's last or who's less. But how I imitate Christ in this world, period. So this church is not going to walk past people who don't have homes. We're going to try our best to, tr to work together with anybody who will join us to make sure some folks who don't have a house can have a house. That's why we partnered with Habitat for Humanity. That's why we partnered with Impact. This church is not going to walk past single mothers who need a, a new start on life or, or some children who don't have a chance at life in any other conditions and we're going to place them in a great cottage with some great Christian folks. We're not going to walk past that. So we partner with Arms of Hope to try to bring life into some very difficult situations for single moms into some children who don't have parents that really can take care of them. We're not going to walk past kids who need some foster care for the moment hoping that we can help them find a place where, where they can be adopted eventually. But for the moment, we're going to work with Divinity Family Ministries because we're not walking past people who need for a moment to be placed in someone's home where it's safe and they can get a breath from the horrors that they've just been taken out of. We're not going to walk past those who are in need of a place to figure out, what do I do with this child I just found out I have? A single mom who's pregnant doesn't have anybody to go, not to family. And so we work with the Pregnancy Resource Center because as a church, we're not walking past those people. We're not. This year, we're not going to walk past some people who sometimes have the label or the moniker special needs. People who are born into this world with mental and physical challenges that don't really fit in any other category. They're not really ill. They just had some birth defects that caused their minds and their bodies not to work very well. In February, in our Christian community, Cross Kingdom Ministries, it's over there at the, the Sage Hall in, on the road, road to Ingram. Now, have y'all seen that? Cross Kingdom Ministries meets there. They're going to help sponsor, for the third time, Night to Shine. Now, some of you who are familiar with this because of Tim Tebow started launching this thing a couple of years back. And what they've done is, is they've put together an evening right around Valentine's Day. That's why it's going to be on February the 7th. But it's going to be worldwide for the third time in a row. And what they're going to do is they're going to put, put on a prom-like night for those who have special mental challenges and physical challenges. And for a night, they're going to be kings and queens. And they've invited us to be a part of that. And so I want to make that available to you and and. 
beneath there is a web address, and we're going to have it in our bulletins, and you're going to be hearing more about that here from the pulpit. But we've got a chance to be involved in helping some special families, not just people with special needs, but their families, to experience a night they wouldn't experience any other way. A lady by the name of Elizabeth Rose is going to be leading that. And we're going to be coming alongside in some, in some form or fashion. Some people are going to contribute money. Some people are going to contribute some time. I don't know what we're going to do, but I'm making it available to us so that we can be a part of it. Because when we start loving like Jesus, the world's going to see us living like Jesus. And he, he loved those who were left out. He loved those who were left over. He loved those who were sometimes forgotten and just set to the side, like this man we see in John chapter 5. How do we do this? Because the preacher says we ought to? No. Never happens. We tried that. Doesn't work long. Works for the short term, but not very long. And it certainly doesn't create an environment where kids go, I want to be a part of that. Here's the only way that I know that it can work. It's realizing how good how good God has been in our lives first. That's why I say amen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 5. We can round up, no, we can't round up enough containers to hold everything our God has generously poured into our lives through the Holy Spirit. Amen? No way we can round up enough containers. And then he says something similar in 1 Timothy 1.14. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. Out of that abundance, we give our lives away. We're not going to be the people who, who make it our aim to get what we can get. We're going to make it our aim to give what we can give. Because that's who our Savior is. That's who our Lord is. And I hate it, but we swim in a culture that lives, eats, and breathes. Get what you can and can all you can get. It was illustrated the other day in a favorite comic of mine. I hope I can pull this off. It's easier sometimes, I think, to read than it is to say. But next slide, guys. Two ladies are talking over their fence, and one says to the other, Henrietta provides us with eggs, and when she stops, we're going to eat her. And then the last tile is this. Picking up another dozen eggs, Henrietta? It'll come. Keep going. Yeah. Some of you are, there we go. I knew it was going to catch you. If you've ever wondered why the chicken crossed the road, we've just solved the mystery right there. Dustin, this Jesus that we love, and the church that I know that we're about, can give more than we take. We can. And that can happen because in Jesus Christ, we realize we've been given a lot more than we could ever give away. In Christ also, we can do this because you bring something to the table nobody else can bring. And if the Holy Spirit awakens anything in you, I hope he awakens how amazingly blessed we've been, but also how amazingly gifted we are because of him. Wow, what a winning combo. You have some things that have happened in your life nobody else can talk about. Nobody else can really relate to like you do. Some can get in, in the ballpark, but... You've got some things to share that nobody else can share. You've got some talents and some abilities nobody else can share in quite the same way you can. Now you put that together and God says, I can, I can use that to help change a life if you'll let me. He doesn't need anything, but he can certainly use everything that we offer up as a gift. 
So maybe, just maybe, 2020 will be the year that we are known as a church for celebrating more than we are competing. And you know what? When that's taking place in people's hearts and minds, that's one legal stimulant you want your brain to be fried on. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning, and we do pray that you change our minds and our hearts. Remind us again of how amazing you have blessed our lives. Thank you. We're definitely not the only ones this morning who gather together on the verge of this brand new year to look back and to look ahead and to say, God, what do you want to do? This morning, the church that we have partnered with, the Impact Church, I know, is praying for other churches. They love this church. We love their church. And we thank you that together we are one body in Christ. And I'm so excited that in just a couple of weeks, we're going to be cutting the tape on a brand new home that's finally finished. And I, I just want to thank you for that. You began this work in us many, many years ago, and you're just taking it to another level. Thank you that we get to see in our lifetime congregations working together, not debating each other. And I pray that where there's elements of truth that need to be talked about and discussed and studied, you encourage us to do that. But I pray, Father, we can celebrate more than we ever compete. Compete for who's right. Compete for who has more in their services. Compete for who, who does more in the community. And they know it. Please, God, let the spirit of competition die another death this year in your body here in Kerrville. And let the spirit of celebration come alive. Thank you so much for all that you've done to make that possible. We celebrate our freedom in Christ and we ask you to help us dream more and live in more this year than we ever have. For in Jesus' name we pray and everyone said. If you're here this morning, we're not going to have a formal invitation, but I am going to say this. Uh, elders, where are you? Would you please stand up wherever you are, elders? I just want these folks to be able to see you who may be visiting today. Okay. These are men in our church here. They're our lead followers. Okay. And they're just following the same Jesus I've talked about today. And if you need to find one of us, myself included, and allow us to pray over you this morning, we want to do that. If you want to say yes to Jesus Christ today and put him on in baptism, please come find one of us and we'll help you do that today. Because we hope 2020 will be the best year possible and we know without a relationship with Jesus, that's impossible. Okay? Thanks, guys. Now, no, y'all just keep standing. The rest of you, stand and let's do some praising. <laughs>